The date was August 10th, 1984. The location was Inglewood, California. More specifically, it was the old forum where the Lakers used to play from the mid-1960s until the end of the 1990s. It was the middle of the summer, but the building had been busy with basketball games for two weeks. It was the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles. Team USA was getting ready to play Spain for the men's basketball gold medal. The team was there particularly early to get ready, and a 21-year-old Michael Jordan reached into his bag for his sneakers and realized that they were not there. Then it hit him like a ton of bricks. His shoes were back in his hotel room. This was a problem. And this is Basketball History 101. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience, and today we bring you the story of when Michael Jordan forgot his sneakers. Now, let us put some context around this story. This was 1984, and this was the Olympics, not the NBA. Back in 1984, all of the players were still supposed to be amateurs. Now, this meant that the entire roster of American players had to be college players because NBA players were not yet allowed. That would not happen for eight more years in 1992. The entire American roster was between the ages of 19 and 23. Some of the players like Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins, and Vern Fleming were going to be joining the NBA after the Olympic tournament. But many of the players like Patrick Ewing, Steve Alford, and Chris Mullen were going to return to their colleges to play for them in the fall. This was a young group of players, and they were playing against grown men from other countries. Now, I have mentioned this before, so I'm not going to go off on a huge rant here, but the way that the Olympics defined amateur back then was any player who had never signed an NBA contract. However, if a player had signed and played a professional contract with a team in Europe or Asia or anywhere else, then they were still considered an amateur for Olympic purposes. Now, this is why American college players at the Olympics had to play against professional players from other nations who were possibly in their late 20s and even early 30s. Now, Team USA had been running roughshod over the competition. Except for their game against Germany, which they only won by 11 points in the quarterfinals, they were blowing out everybody else leading up to the gold medal game against Spain. On that day of August 10th, Coach Bob Knight wanted them at the arena extra early to prepare to play for the gold medal. Coach Knight, of course, was the head coach at Indiana University and was putting a tremendous amount of pressure on himself to make sure that the United States walked away with the gold medal. But he was not doing it just for the United States, although that would have been plenty of motivation. He was also doing it for coach Hank Iba, who had served as a mentor tonight during his early days as a coach. Now, if you do not know the name Hank Iba, he was the coach at Oklahoma State University from 1934 until 1970. Coach Iba was also the coach of the 1972 United States Olympic team. Now, that was a controversial gold medal game where the officials gave the Soviet Union three chances to make the game-winning shot to defeat the United States for that gold medal. In retrospect, it was plainly obvious that officials broke rules in their efforts to give the Soviets extra chances to win that game, which they did. Coach Bob Knight wanted to win in 1984 to somehow make up for the game that was stolen in 1972. He even had Coach Hank Iba with him throughout the Olympics and had Coach Iba sit on the bench with the team for the gold medal game in 1984. But I am starting to get a little bit ahead of myself. The real story was happening in the locker room well before the game was set to tip off. 
As I mentioned, the team got to the arena early and was getting ready to suit up, stretch, and then take the floor for warm-ups. Michael Jordan reached into his bag when he realized that his basketball shoes were still back at the hotel. Very quickly, the whole locker room started to freak out. Jordan was the team's leading scorer and easily their best player. Anyone who had watched any of their games that summer could already see glimpses of the player that Jordan would become. His quickness and hang time were off the charts. Coach Knight once described Jordan to another coach and said, quote, that Jordan kid from Carolina? Well, he's a little different, unquote. Coach Knight meant that as a total compliment. Coach Knight even had a rule for his players that they never drive to the basket along the baseline because it was too easy to get trapped resulting in a turnover. But Jordan drove baseline all the time and it did not seem to matter. He never got trapped. More often than not, he either scored or passed the ball to a cutting player for an easy layup. Jordan was the only player that Coach Knight allowed to drive baseline. So what to do about Jordan's missing shoes? If necessary, they were prepared to make Leon Wood give up his shoes to Jordan because Jordan was much more valuable to the team than Leon Wood. And now I'm not trying to insult Wood. The guy played six seasons in the NBA and several more in Europe. But if I only had one pair of shoes and two players and one of those players was Michael Jordan, then Jordan is gonna get those shoes. But that is not what happened. Leon Wood was able to keep his shoes. Team USA officials were able to make an arrangement to get Jordan's shoes from the hotel. And I will be right back with how that happened. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of you unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876 including t-shirts long sleeve shirts phone cases mugs blankets pillows towels and even shower curtains go to sportshistorynetwork.com row number one for access to the full row one catalog and for gallery prints and gift items plus get a 15 percent discount off all prints on the row one pictorum gallery with coupon code shn15 follow the link on the show notes Welcome back to the show and let us continue with the story of when Michael Jordan forgot his sneakers. Now, as I mentioned before the break, Team USA was getting ready to play Spain for the gold medal game when Michael Jordan realized that he had forgotten his shoes back at the hotel. Now, it's not like today where the team has an equipment manager to make sure that not only are there multiple sets of everyone's uniforms, but also five or six pairs of sneakers for each of the players. Any piece of equipment that the players might need will be accounted for and even with backups and backups to the backups. But back in 1984, the players were responsible to bring their own sneakers to the games. It was just an honest mistake on the part of Jordan, but they still had to do something about it. Team USA officials arranged for one of their members to go with a police officer back to the hotel to retrieve Jordan's shoes. The official and the police officer took off in a police car with sirens blaring. They were speeding through LA traffic to get to the hotel, grab Jordan's shoes, and get back to the arena in time for the game. And I know LA traffic. I, I grew up in the LA area. And I can tell you that even on an average day, LA traffic is horrible. 
But during the Olympics, it was even crazier as nearly an extra million people were in town because of the Olympics. The average LA driver had to count on every trip taking twice as long as it normally would. But when it came to retrieving Michael Jordan sneakers, they were not gonna mess around with any of that traffic. A police car with sirens blaring forces all other drivers to move over. That is how important they felt it was to get Jordan's shoes. They treated it like a bank robbery had just gone down. Now, it did not take long for the officer and Team USA official to return to the forum with Jordan's shoes. They got back in time for everyone to get dressed and on the court for warm-ups. If you had been in the stands at the forum, you would have never realized that anything was wrong. Jordan took the court for warm-ups with his teammates and everything looked normal from the outside. But behind the scenes, it was like DEFCON 2. By the way, the shoes were Converse because they were the ones who were sponsoring Team USA Basketball. Now, that was probably the last day that Jordan ever wore a pair of Converse before signing his Nike contract. Of course, if you wanted to wear Converse today, it would probably not be a big deal because Nike, Brand Jordan, and Converse are all one big company today. But as for the game, here is how it went. After the warm-ups, the team returned to the locker room for the big pep talk from Coach Knight. He had planned out this big speech about playing for America and playing for their families. As he went to the board, he noticed a piece of paper taped to the board and he pulled it down and opened it. Now, I'm going to clean this up a little bit because it does have a bit of language in it, but basically it said this, quote, Coach, don't worry, we've put up with too much to lose now, unquote. Coach Knight recognized what Michael Jordan's handwriting looked like. He threw out his speech and just looked at the players and said, okay, let's go play. As the team took the court for the introductions, Coach Knight turned to Coach Iba and said that the game would be over in the first five minutes. He had rarely seen a team so ready to play a game. Coach Knight was right. Team USA came out and took it right to Spain. The game was a 31-point blowout. Team USA won by a score of 96-65 to 65 for the gold medal. When the game was over, the players tried to lift Coach Knight onto their shoulders, but he said no. He said that Coach Iba gets the first ride. By this point, the players were fully aware of what had happened to Coach Iba in 1972. So, following instructions, they lifted Coach Iba onto their shoulders and gave him a lap around the court and then did the same for Coach Knight. Up until then, most players only got one shot at the Olympic gold medal as most of the players turned professional prior to the next Olympics. Jordan had won his gold medal and figured that that was it. He had already been drafted by the Chicago Bulls, so he knew where he was going to play in the fall. It was now time to prepare for his NBA career. But little did he know that he and Olympic teammates Patrick Ewing and Chris Mullen would be invited to play again for Team USA as part of the 1992 Olympic Dream Team, when NBA players were finally allowed to play in the Olympics. Now, I am just glad that they were able to retrieve Jordan's shoes from that hotel that day, and he didn't have to wear Leon Wood's shoes. So that's all for today. Join us next time when we share the story of the man who invented the basketball. Now, I don't mean Dr. Naismith who invented the game of basketball. I'm talking about the man who invented the ball that is used for the game of basketball. That man was Al Spalding. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast, and check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories in the past. Take care and see you soon.